This morning we're continuing a sermon series that we've been, we started last week on some of the promises of God. We're going to be talking about some of the promises that God offers to us, not all of them, but some of them as we lead up to the season of Lent. And today uh, we'll be focusing on uh, the promise of grace using the words from Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15. Uh, That's found in page 958 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before we read that together, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ministers are quite similar to anybody else in the world. We have similar vices, we have similar needs, and in fact, from time to time, you might find that we need affirmation from you just like you need affirmation from us. You might even notice that from time to time I I fish for some of those compliments. Uh, Hate to say it, but I do. I certainly know that other ministers have and have, have seen other ministers do it. In fact, years ago when I was an associate pastor at another church, uh, we were teaching a group of elders in an officer training class, and we were talking about worship and our Presbyterian theology about worship. And the minister began that class by asking the question, what is your favorite part of worship? Well, I could see right through that question. He was throwing bait out there in the water, fishing for compliments, and all of those elders took the bait. One by one, they jumped up and said, we love your sermons. Your sermons are the best sermons in the world. It's amazing. I never liked going to church until I heard your sermons. Your sermons are so deep and thought-provoking and intellectual, and yet my four-year-old daughter understands them perfectly. (laughs) I love your sermons. They mean so much to me. We wouldn't go to church if it weren't for your sermons. Finally, the minister was buttered up and down, backwards and front, and so they decided maybe they could answer a few other things too. And so they said, we also like the choir. We like the, mu- the, the music that we sing. We even love some of those old hymns and love singing them. They mentioned several other things in the worship service, but there was one elder that was quiet through the whole thing. Her name was, was Clara. Clara was a longtime member of the church. This was probably her third or fourth time being an elder of the church, and Noticing her silence, the senior pastor looked at her and said, Clara, what what is your favorite part of worship? And she smiled and said, I like the Gloria. What she meant was the Gloria Patri, which we just sang a few minutes ago. And knowing that there was probably some reason for that answer, the minister asked her, why do you like the Gloria? And she said, Pastor, because when you tell me I'm forgiven, I just feel like singing. 
That's what the glory is. We sing it in our worship service every single Sunday right after the prayer of confession and the assurance of pardon. That moment in our worship service where we look to God and say all the things that we have fallen, all the ways that we have fallen short as people and as disciples. And even more importantly, right after that moment where we remember that God forgives us. That promise of forgiveness. That's when we sing. We sing out loud that sometimes too high for me to sing song, The Glory of Patri. I don't know how many of you might say, yes, that's my favorite part of the worship service, the, the assurance of pardon, the, the confession, the assurance, and the glory of pottery. There are churches all over the world that apparently it's not their favorite part of the worship service because they've started to take that part out to, to give room for other things. But that little bit of worship, that two minutes, maybe not even that long, where we confess our sins, where we remember God's forgiveness and we sing out loud. It's that little bit of worship where we remember one of the most important promises of God. The promise of grace. The promise of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a central theme of what it means to be a Christian. We are called to forgive each other. And all throughout the Bible, you can hear the word forgiveness again and again and again. And in fact, if you were telling someone what it meant to be a Christian, telling someone about your faith, I would hope that the word forgiveness would come out of your mouth within the first minute or so, that you would talk about forgiveness. The Bible talks about forgiveness constantly, including in the passage that we read this morning, where we are not only... In encouraged to clothe ourselves with kindness and love, but to forgive others just as the Lord forgives us. But that's not the only place. You can probably think of other examples of forgiveness in the Bible. Places where, where Peter, the apostle, comes to Jesus and asks him, just how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody here? As many as seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven times. Or in those other moments where Paul was struggling with his own guilt after he was struck blind and he needed that grace from God, or, or even David when he was struggling with his own guilt after all that he went through. Forgiveness is a part of our faith. It is the most central part of our faith. And yet, as important as it is, it's probably one of the most difficult things that God asks us to do, to accept forgiveness and even more so to forgive other people. God asks us to forgive. God calls us to forgive 70 times, 7 times. And yet it's so hard to forgive people sometimes, especially those people who have really hurt us. Fred Craddock, the great preacher, talks about forgiveness in this way. He says, forgiveness is in our vocabulary in the church. We talk about it all the time. We cannot have friends without forgiveness. We cannot have family without forgiveness. We cannot have lasting marriages without forgiveness. But it's difficult very difficult. It's very difficult to turn loose of that pain, especially if the pain has become the new center of our identity, the new definition of who I am, the wronged and the hurt person. Only the person that hurts, only the one who has been hurt can forgive. The rest of us are just advisors and commentators. I tell you, most days I feel like one of those cheap advisors and commentators standing up in front of a group of people and telling you we're supposed to forgive because there's so many pains in the world that are so hard to forgive. 
difficult pains, pains that people feel because they've been betrayed by their friends, because they've been abused by their loved ones, because they've been thrown out and discarded, and their feelings and their emotions and their very person is discarded as worth nothing. When someone treats you like that, it is so hard to forgive. Forgiveness is the last thing we want to do. And what does a minister know standing up here telling us to forgive? And yet that's what Jesus calls us to do, to forgive one another. Gandhi said forgiveness is a virtue of the brave. What he meant was it takes courage to forgive. And I think Jesus would say the same thing. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to forgive someone who has hurt us, who has wronged us, who has made us feel like garbage. And yet that's what Jesus Christ calls us to do. I have to be honest with you. I don't know that I have that much courage when people have hurt me or hurt my family. And yet again, that's what Jesus calls us to do. Maybe you've met people like that who they have that much courage, who can forgive someone who has wronged them terribly. When I witness something like that, I think of it as more than just courage. I think of it as miraculous. As I was preparing for this sermon, I read a little story about a man named Chris Carrier who grew up in South Florida back in the 1970s when he was 10 years old. A dear close family friend kidnapped him, took him away and and beat him and hurt him almost to within an inch of his life and left him to die. Of course, he did not die by the will of his own life. He kept himself alive. He was found later, and he grew up to be a a productive person in society. But that close family friend who they knew, even though everybody knew it was probably him, there wasn't enough evidence to convict him, and so he was never arrested. So Chris had to go on throughout his life knowing that justice wasn't done. And then one year, 20 years later... Chris got a phone call from an officer who had been working on that case for all these years. He said, Chris, the person that we suspected all this time is now living in a nursing home not too far from you. And I I just happened to go over and, and visit with him. And through our conversation, he confessed to committing this crime and hurting you. I just thought you might want to know that. So Chris, in the 1990s, got himself together and decided, I'm going to go visit this man who did this horrible thing to me so many years ago. Went to the nursing home where the officer told him to go. But when he got into that nursing home room and saw this man, he did not come upon a killer or a murderer or an evil monster. What he came across was a frail, old vegetable of a man who was laying in a bed all alone left alone to die, just like Chris was so many years ago. And in that moment, something miraculous happened. Chris pulled up a chair and sat beside this man and told him who he was and told him he forgave him. But that's not where it stopped. Chris came back the next day and a few days later and a few weeks later to visit this man who had been left all alone, determined not to leave this man in the same state where he was left. And Chris would later say, I can't describe the feeling. It was this feeling I'd never had before, this feeling of freedom. 
I didn't have to get revenge. I just had the freedom to care and to love for Him in a way that I was not cared for when I was a child. That gift of freedom that comes only through forgiveness. He felt that freedom for himself, and I dare say that kidnapper felt freedom too. That's miraculous, isn't it? That's more than courageous. That's miraculous. And yet Jesus Christ looks at us and says, forgive. Even more so, Jesus Christ forgives like that. You remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and all of those people were spewing hatred at Him and He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. How can we ever forgive like that? Well, Jesus doesn't give us all the pieces to the puzzle, but right here in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us a good starting point. He tells us the way to start forgiving is first and foremost, remember that you have been forgiven. The starting point to any other forgiveness for any other person in the world is to first and foremost remember that you have been forgiven forgiven. That's why we share that confession of sin and insurance of pardon every single week. That's why we come to this table again and again to remind ourselves of God's gift of forgiveness. For some of us, we need that reminder because we take it for granted. We've gone on about our lives and forgiveness is something that we just put in our backpack and carry with us. But I have to believe there are other people in this world who have never heard that good news. There are other people in this world who feel like that garbage, not because other people have hurt them, but because they've hurt other people. There are other people in this world that are consumed by their guilt. There are other people in this world that just wish they could go back in time and correct that mistake that they made. And what they need to hear more than anything else in the world is that you're valuable, even though you're broken. I told this story several years ago at an Ash Wednesday service. It's a story that I keep with me all the time in my heart and in my mind. It's a story I heard at a, 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 a funeral for a, a, a grandmother. A, a boy who was a grandson was giving the eulogy for his grandmother at a little church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And he told this story about how much he loved his grandmother. He would go over to her house all the time. And, and she had this wonderful wall of trinkets of play, things that she had collected from all of her travels. In the middle of that wall was a little snow globe that she loved, he, and that she loved so dearly. And he loved it too. He would take that snow globe off and shake it up and rock it back and forth. There was inside that little snow globe was a little rocking horse a little that would rock back and forth and back and forth every time he shook it up. He loved to see that snow. And every time he'd come over, he'd find time in his visit to go in there and shake that rocking horse back and forth again and again. Well, finally, as you might imagine, one day he was playing with that snow globe and it slipped right out of his hands and shattered all over the floor. Snow everywhere, water everywhere, and that glass everywhere. And that little rocking horse was right in the middle of it all. His grandmother heard it, came running into the room and said, Son, it's okay, just don't stick your hands in it. I don't want you to get cut up. Just go outside and play. Well, he went outside, but he was just ripped apart with guilt. He just went outside and sulked. He couldn't play at all. Finally, what seemed like 
hours. He came back inside with his head hanging. He peered back in the room where all of those little trinkets were, and there on the shelf where he expected to see an empty spot, he saw something. His grandmother had taken that little rocking horse and put it up on the shelf where the snow globe had been. He went and found his grandmother, and he said, Grandmother, why did you keep that little rocking horse that's broken? She wrapped him up in his arms and rocked him back and forth and back and forth. And she said, Son, someday you just have to learn. Just because something is broken doesn't mean you throw it away. See, that's how it is with God's love. We come to church every now and then. Sometimes we take it for granted, but sometimes because we just need to hear it. You are forgiven because you're loved. Sometimes we come to church and we take it for granted, but sometimes we come to church because we need to hear it. You're forgiven. So go out into the world and forgive. What a gift that is. God forgives us so that we might feel like singing. What a gift that is that God forgives us so that we might feel like being someone new. Not the person we used to be, but the person we can be. What a gift that is to be forgiven, to be free, to forgive others. That's where it starts. And that's what we need. And that's why we remind ourselves every single day of that gift of grace. And oh, what a gift it is. Thanks be to God. Amen.